The Mountain Vista Baptist Church podcast features the preaching and teaching of Pastor Robert Perry and the guest speakers of Mountain Vista Baptist. The purpose of this podcast is to help believers grow, to edify the saints, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter number four this morning, and as we've been studying here on Sunday mornings, a series we've called The Anatomy of the Church, we've been looking at uh, what the scriptures teach about the church and the importance of it. And thus far, we began, of course, with some observations of the church, uh, considering the concepts of what it is and what it is not, and uh, whose it is and whose it is not. Of course, we understand that the church belongs to Christ. In fact, his own words said, upon this rock, speaking of himself, he said, I'll build my church. And so we understand, therefore, that the church is his. And as we strive to function and operate and to accomplish what he would have us to accomplish and to be what he'd have us to be, uh, we have to do so within the realm of what he said a church ought to be right? And so where do we find that information? Well, we find it in His Word, and we're thankful this morning that He's given us His Word to accomplish that. And uh, so we took some time to consider some observations of the church, and we spoke about the origins of the church and uh, how the Lord Jesus Christ Himself began it and, and all that that means as well. And then we looked at the offices of the church and the, the office of the pastor, the office of the deacon as well, and spent several weeks on both of those. Then we took a couple weeks and looked at the ordinances that the Lord gave the church, and the ordinance first of the Lord's uh, of, of uh, believers' baptism, and then secondly of that of the Lord's Supper as well, and then last week we looked at what we called the order of the church, specifically um, looking at what God expects from His believers as they make a commitment, or as what we, the term we would use, uh, membership. And uh, so we discussed that last week and. And uh, membership, of course, in a church is not the same as what the world uses membership for. Uh, some people might have a membership in a, uh, some type of a movie club. And uh, so, therefore, they receive... Is that still a thing anymore? I don't even know. Uh, but uh, it used to be a thing, right, where you'd get movies in the mail or whatever. Uh, that's how Netflix started out, right? And uh, now it's kind of evolved into something different. Or uh, maybe uh, you, a person might be a, a member at a country club, and when they go to that country club, they just show up, and everything that is there and all the amenities are ready to be used by them. They don't have to do any work for them. They pay their dues, and therefore, they reap the benefits of it. And, and sadly, that's how we kind of think of church membership sometimes. That Well, if I come in, and I sit in the pew, and I drop a couple of dollars in the offering plate, then I get to reap the benefits of everything. But that's not what God thinks of church membership. And that, in fact, that's totally opposite of what the Bible teaches about church membership. And we discussed that last week, and that church membership is more than just having your name on a roll or sitting in a pew, but church membership has everything to do with our commitment uh, to that local assembly, to that local body. And uh, with that in mind, then, we're moving from that, from the order of the church, to what we are considering to be the operations of the church, all right? So this is how we're functioning. And how does the Lord expect the church to function? Well, I know how He expects it to function. It's going to have to be a place that has an auditorium, and it has a couple of classrooms, and a place for a nursery, and uh, the, the pews need to be red uh, with like a grayish color carpet, and uh, you know, we, want, we think the operation of the church is however our church operates, right? Well, that's how it's, well, here's the deal. Again, we're not wanting to operate how we think we ought to operate. We want to operate the way the Lord expects us to operate, the way He commands us to operate, right? Now, does the Bible tell us what color our pews have to be? No. But it does give us order. It gives us uh, instruction on how we ought to function and the main things that need to function as a church. And so today we're going to consider the operations of the church. And with that consideration, we're going to consider our service as members of the church, our service as those who are part of the church. I want to draw your attention to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse number 11. We're going to go down through verse number 16. And picking up in verse number 11, it says, and he gave some. Now, let's pause there so we're all in the same mindset and know where we're at. And he gave some. Uh, we, what book are we in? Say it out loud. The book of Ephesians. So we understand then at that rate that Paul is the author, the human author. He's writing to a church in the city of Ephesus. And uh, as he's writing, we understand also he's writing underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy and said this, that all scripture 
is given by inspiration. We'll come to that reference later on in the, uh, in the message even here today. But nevertheless, so we know where we're at, that Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to a church in the city called Ephesus. And, it said, and Paul, as he's writing in verse number 11, he says, and he gave some. Now, it's important that we understand who that he is, right? That we understand that it's not Paul that gave it, that it's not the pastor of the church that gave it, that it's not the deacons of the church that gave it, that it's not any individuals within the church that gave it. When it says, and he gave some, it's talking about the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he gave some, it says, apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which uh, every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the whole body unto the edifying of itself in love. Our Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love and we thank you for the fact that we get to uh, participate in a time like we do today where we hear your word declared and, and that we can grow together, that we've lifted up our voices and praise and glory to you. And uh, Lord, I ask now that uh, you'd help us to never lose sight of the fact that the reason why this is, is even able to be accomplished is because you've loved us and that you gave yourself freely for us, and that uh, you are the author of uh, life and, e and life eternal. And uh, Lord, now as we consider your impact in our life as believers and uh, the blessings that you pour, on, uh, pour out to us through your church, Lord, help us as we uh, study your word, that you give me the word to speak as I deliver the message here this morning, uh, that uh, you would guide us as we, as we study your word and that your Holy Spirit would, uh, would uh, guide and lead us to all truth and that your will would be accomplished and you would be on glorified and praised in everything that is done. And we do ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, anybody who knows me knows that I like sports, particularly I love baseball. Uh, but another sport that I like is basketball. Now, I know you're sitting in the crowd today thinking, I could not picture Pastor playing basketball because my stature is short. I, I understand that, right? Uh, but uh, I love watching it. I love playing it as well, but I do love watching basketball. In fact, I really like college basketball. And uh, March is one of my favorite times of the year because uh, the March Madness and spring training has just started and all that type of thing as well for uh, baseball. So the most wonderful time of the year, you might say, is Christmas, but I say it's March because of <laughs> all those things as well. Uh, but with that being said... As I was considering this passage and as I was considering, uh, you know, our work and our service for the Lord through the church, uh, I thought about, uh, a, a, I thought about basketball and I thought about uh, how it's a team sport and how everybody plays together. In fact, uh, I was considered the, the uh, individual Mike Jarvis and he played for Northeastern in his college days and he was one of those individuals who uh, always just he, he thought he was, he knew, in fact, that he was the one that uh, ought to have the ball in his hands for that last second shot, right? He was going to be the clutch player. He was the one that was going to make the right pass at the right time. He was going to be the one that did the right thing to win his team uh, the game. And in fact, his confidence in himself is what led him to quit his college career in his sophomore year. Uh, in fact, he was actually thinking that he was better than he actually was. He probably could have worked a little bit more on the fundamentals and grown a little bit. Uh, but, you know, so his playing career didn't go as far as it could have maybe. Uh, but his confidence still, it didn't waver. It never waned. He took his confidence into a coaching career as well. And in fact, in 2002, 2003, he led his team, St. John's, uh, to a NIT championship game. Uh, and, uh, and so the NIT is a national invitational tournament. And uh, so his team was invited to this tournament and led St. John's as the coach all the way to the championship game. Now, however, in 2003, 2004, the year didn't quite start out the same way as the year before did. 
In fact, it was a rather slow start in which, and so slow and so, uh, uh, to which the fact that the uh, athletic department of St. John's, uh, they came to him and approached him about buying out his contract. They, were, in essence, were firing him. They said, you are not accomplishing what we want you to accomplish as a coach, and we're moving on to find someone else. Well, the circumstances of him losing his job and having to find uh, a, a new place of, uh, of employment ended up leading him to kind of ca- uh, caused him to hit the reset button, if you may, and totally revamped his coaching and totally revamped his view on, on uh, who he was and the part and role that he played as well as the coach going into his new job as he was hired at Florida Atlantic. And he was resigned uh, to, the, to inspiration uh, of changing his ways as a coach by a former player that went by the nickname of, of Satch. Now, what a nickname that is. But his real name was Tom Sanders. Tom Sanders had been the head coach of Harvard University in the early 1970s, and he had a playing career before that. But Jarvis said of Coach Sanders, he said, Coach Sanders set a powerful example of how one should embrace their role. Now, Coach Sanders, in his playing career, he was a part of a eight-time Boston Celtics NBA championship team that won eight championships between the years of 1960 to 1969. And although this man, Tom Sanders, was a first-team All-American, he was by no means the superstar on his team. I mean, if, you, if you're just kind of a casual observer of basketball, of NBA basketball of the day today, you've probably heard the name LeBron James. He's a superstar, right, as they say. He's kind of the go-to guy on the team. And, and that's the mentality that Jarvis, Mike Jarvis, had as he was a player and as he began into his coaching career. But after things didn't go quite the way he planned, Mike Jarvis found inspiration from an individual who wasn't the superstar, who wasn't the top scorer. In fact, he had very few scoring opportunities. This man that he found inspiration from, Tom Sanders, was actually known for his role as a defensive stopper. Well, and, and if you know anything about basketball, you know this, that a team wins the basketball game by at least scoring one more basket than the other team. So you can do that by going down the court and scoring more than they, the other team scores, or you can do that by, by stopping the other team from scoring at all. Well, Tom Sanders was a man who was really, really good at stopping the other team from scoring. He knew his, his role, and he embraced his role. He knew his part on the team, and he embraced that part on the, t- uh, on the team as well. He realized that he was not the superstar. He realized that he wasn't going to win any scoring uh, accolades, but he knew that he had a part to play that was going to lead his team to championships. And my friends, he was a part of a team that won eight championships in nine years. I'd say that team was pretty successful, wouldn't you? And it was, they were successful because team sports are not won by individuals, but team sports are won by the collective efforts of the team together. And while some have to score, some will defend. And Tom Sanders knew that his job wasn't to score, but to defend. And it was said of, uh, of Tom Sanders that you can't win championships without role players like Tom Satch Sanders. And having those kind of leaders and members on the team are vitally important for success for that team. And I submit to you this morning also, my friends, that having those type of people within a church is vitally important for the success of a church as well. I remind you what we looked at last week as Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 12 and 12, where he said, for as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Every single believer here today has a part to play within the body of Christ. Every single believer that, has, that calls Mountain Vista Baptist Church their church home has a place to serve the Lord and a place, an opportunity to accomplish His work. As we discussed last week, Paul likens the church unto a body. And you might say, well, I have fingers and I have a nose, and all the, right? They all have their different roles that they play. The nose does not play the same role as the finger does. Remember what I, ta- I told you last week I did with this finger? I type with it, right? How do I type? Right? Yeah. That's what that finger does. But my nose doesn't type that way, does it? 
In fact, if you were to come see me throughout the week while I was writing a message and I was sitting at my computer and you walked in the office and I was pecking at the computer like a, like a chicken or something or a bird, you'd probably turn around and walk out and say, pastor's lost his mind. It's time to find another church. Why? Because the nose isn't meant for typing. But that's one of the roles that this finger can, can accomplish, right? Every single part of the body has its own purpose. It accomplishes what it was created to accomplish. We've already seen how God has used the, the likeness of a body to, to, be, to represent the church. And that means every single one of us as parts of that body have a part or a role to play. So listen, I'm the pastor. I stand up here on Sundays. I deliver the, the word of God. But you're, you're a member of this church just as I am. But your role doesn't mean that you have to stand up here. There's some that some ladies that help in the nursery. <laughs> I'm thankful that my role is not to help in the nursery. <laughs> We've got wonderful nursery workers. Miss Beverly does a wonderful job organizing them. We're thankful for that. Those ladies are trained and they're prepared and they're ready. They're equipped with every, all the resources they need to be able to take care of those children. And the thing about children when they're a little like that, sometimes they bite. And you know, there's never been one of our nursery workers that have ever bitten one of the children's back. Thank God for that. But I'll tell you this, if I was in the nursery, I'd probably bite them back. I'm just glad I'm not down there. You know what I mean? That's not part of my role. We all have different roles to play. However, we can find ourselves not functioning in the role that God has made us for. Who created our body? God did. So did He create our fingers? Did He create our nose? Did He create the functions for them as well? Who created you? Who created the church? So did he create the functions of it? Absolutely. He's created all of that, right? But when we try to function outside of those roles and those realms, we are not functioning in the way that he's created us to function. And when we have a, a, a part of our body that's not functioning the way that it's supposed to function, it sets back everything that could be accomplished, right? And as we come here to chapter 4 of Ephesians... We find that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul declares that the Lord himself is the one that is equipping and placing certain people in the certain areas in the body of Christ to be able to accomplish his work. Now, we looked last week out of Romans, and we saw specifically in the book of Romans, the Bible declares that the Lord himself brings together and builds the church as he sees fit for his own glory and for his own purpose, right? We, we saw that last week. So if we believe that, and you came back again this week, then apparently you believe that God has placed you here. That, that's, where, that's where you're supposed to be. So that means that God has a place for you to serve and a function for you to serve in as well. And we'll see that this morning as we continue on. Notice with me here in our text in verse number 11, it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Number one this morning, as I consider the operation of the church and our service, I want you to notice the roles declared. I want you to notice the roles declared here in verse number 11. Now, this, this list that's found in verse number 11, it's not comprehensive. It's, it's not every single role and opportunity and, and position of service and title that could ever be mentioned in a church. Paul doesn't take that time. In fact, we could probably fill the entire pages of the Bible with such a list, honestly. I mean, there's so many ways to be able to serve the Lord and so many functions in which we could serve the Lord. I mean, we could go on and on and on. So Paul does not give us a comprehensive list of every single scenario in which a person can serve the Lord, but he does give us a list of several ways that, that the Lord has equipped and given people the opportunity to serve him through the church to give us the understanding that, hey, we all got a part in this to play. And he says here in verse number 11 again, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. The word evangelist there is just speaking of one that would proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, we'll talk about our, our outreach and how we're able to, to, to tell others about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I firmly believe that every believer has been left with the instructions to be a witness and tell others about Jesus Christ. And so right here in the very first thing in this list that we find here is something that we all can do. It's a role that we all can play. 
and being an evangelist and telling others about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's a role that we all ought to play, I believe, as well. But he also goes on and talks about that of pastors, and that's the role that I am fulfilling here today and, and uh, helping to lead the congregation that God has left us here. But then there's also that of teachers, he says. You know, there's some that God has gifted to be able to declare his word to others to help them to grow. He's gifted them with the opportunity or the ability to be able to stand up in front of others and, and have studied the Word of God and then be able to teach it to others as well. All I'm saying here is this, is that this list here is to help us to understand that we've got a part to play in this body. We've got a role to fulfill in this body. And as we consider the fact that we've got a role to fulfill, notice with me as we consider verse number 11 again, the very first words... They just ring out so true about this that when we consider the roles in the church that could be given to be able to be serving for the Lord, we understand that it is a role that is God-given. Whatever role you have, it's God-given. Notice what he said here in verse number 11. And he, who's the he? God gave. And he gave. We don't find Paul saying, well, because of my expertise in church planting and because of my wisdom, as in, uh, I've decided that this is where everybody... No, Paul had nothing to do with it. He didn't, he didn't say, well, you're pastor. Because he's the pastor, he's all-knowing. He's, he's like right there next to God. And all the people said, amen. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Obviously, that's not the case, Right? And so we find that he's not saying your pastor has all the knowledge in the world. And so where he says you have to go is what you're supposed to do. No, what he says is God himself has equipped and has given particular individuals to be able to serve in some function of the body. When God formed you in your mother's womb, he formed you with every attribute that you have. And he said, your eye, color, your eye color and your hair and, your, and uh, your arms and your legs and your personality, everything, everything that is you, I'm giving you to be able to function and to be able to accomplish your life as an individual. My friends, when you think about the church as a body, then you have to understand that God has then placed you in that church to function in some role. Do you understand that there's not one part of your body that doesn't have a particular function that is necessary for your body to function the way that God intended for it to? What about your eyelashes? You ever thought about that? They're not that important, right? Oh, they very, very much are. They act as uh, the first line of defense to make sure that nothing that isn't supposed to be in your eyeballs, get in your eyeballs, right? Like they're, they're hanging out there, and when th something gets close, it's like, woohoo! If something's close, close your eye. It's that first signal to close your eye. It helps collect dust and things to help keep it from being junk, gunked up inside your eyeball and all that type of thing. That you, they seem so insignificant, yet they were formed and fashioned by God because they were necessary. And Paul, underneath the, underneath the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says the church is like a body. And every single person that has been placed there is intricate for the, for the functioning of the body to be a healthy one. So we find that in that role then, in that case, the role that we have to play is a role that God specifically has designed and equipped and given to us to accomplish. Can you imagine that? That when God was creating you, he said, not only am I going to give them what they need to function as a human being, I know that they're going to trust me as, my, as their Savior. I know the, the plans and the thoughts that I have for them, right? And I know what, they're go, uh, that what their life is going to be like. And I'm going to give them the equipping to be able to function in some form or fashion for my will and for my work. And yet we come to church and we just sit in the pew and think that's enough. Wow. Wow. That God thought about you and says, I want to use you. I have a plan for you. In Ephesians chapter 4, 
what we've just read in verses, verse number 11 is a continuation of the thought from verse number 7. In verse number 7, it says, but unto every one of us, let me ask you a question again. Here we're, we're studying the Word of God. We're making sure that we're following along and understanding what is being said here. In verse number 7, but unto every one of us, who's writing this right here? Paul's writing it. Who's he writing it to? But a church in Ephesus, right? Believers in Ephesus. So when he uses the term us, who's he talking about? Christians, church members. He says in verse number seven, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Hey, God's gifted us with certain abilities for his service. And to come along with it, he's given us the grace to accomplish it. Oh my goodness. I don't know how many times I've spoken with someone and I've said, I've been praying about this and I, th I think this opportunity is something that the Lord could greatly use you for. And they say, uh, oh, I could never do that. And I don't blame them. I've been there. I mean, I, I remember, I mean, when I was real little, standing in front of people wasn't a big deal or whatever. Four years old, Christmas program there at the church. And I'm standing up there singing, the widow Lord Jesus, us weep on the hay. But then as I got six, seven, eight years old, there's no way you're getting up, me up there in front of anybody to sing anything. They finally convinced me to get in the choir at, when, when I was old enough as a teenager, and I stood there in the choir with, amongst everybody else. Nobody could hear my voice in particular, and, and, but that was good enough. And then they said, well, hey, how about you join this smaller group? It wasn't as big as the choir. It's just like an ensemble or something. Why don't you sing with them? Okay, my voice will still be hit, hidden and blend, you know, blended in there. They won't know it was me. Then it was a quartet. Then it was a duet. And then I remember that first solo. What in the world? No, I can't do that. Oh, yeah, you can do it. It'll be bad. And uh, not only that, then all of a sudden, I'm 16 years old, and I think the Lord's calling me to preach. What in the world? God, did you pick the wrong person? Like, I've told you before, I am, I am an introvert. I'm not an extrovert. I'd, I'm, I, I, would, I would do fine in isolation. Like, right, you say, you know, that's not true. You're, you, I see you stand up there every single Sunday, and you seem comfortable up there. And, and that's just the Lord, right? That's all I'm telling you, because this, I, this is not me. Like, my personality is more recluse, right, than to be the center of attention. And so at 16, when I feel like the Lord's calling me to preach, I'm saying, no, Lord, I can't. There's no way I could do it. I could not do that. But go back here to verse number seven. Verse number seven says this, but to every one of us is what? given grace. If God's equipped us, if God has gifted us, he's going to give us the grace to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. Where the Lord calls, he equips. And my friends, the things that we do for him, like we, we, we ought to not want to do it unless he equips us for it. Because in and of myself, I can't accomplish anything good anyway. I'm reminded of what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 12. He said unto Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me, for he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now, if you were to look at Paul's life, and if you've ever studied his life at all, you know that Paul was an accomplished individual. He had a, a pretty good pedigree to behind his name. But notice what he said specifically to Timothy there in that verse. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me. Paul said, my work in ministry is nothing of my own. My work in ministry is not anything that I can accomplish by myself. My work in ministry is what God has enabled me to do. And my friends, Paul's not some superhero. He's not some superhuman. He's an individual just like you and I. And if God equipped and enabled Paul, guess what that means? Because he's the same yesterday and today and forever. That means he's going to enable you too. And he's created you and he's equipped you and he's gifted you, and he gives you the grace to accomplish it, and he's got a role for you to play because the role that he's got for you is a God-given one, and God's business is the greatest business in all the world. And in fact, that's the, the next thing that we see as we consider these roles that are declared. Not only is the role God-given, but it's a role that is great. It is a role that is great. In verse number 11, it says that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Notice that he doesn't focus on just one single role or one single individual. He doesn't say, well, this church is going to be a successful church because of the pastor that leads it. 
He doesn't say this church is going to be successful in its ministry because of, uh, because of one particular teaching uh, minister that they have. He doesn't say that the uh, church is going to be successful because of one soloist that stands up and delivers the, the, the dynamic solo every time they sing. No, he lists several roles and says that the ministry is going to be successful because of the unity in those roles. No single, no, no single individual is going to make or break the church, but it's the roles of the body brought together, functioning together, is what matters my friends, my pastor there in Arkansas, he used to say this, there's no heroes because I'm just a zero with the ring rubbed out. What are you saying? I'm nothing, right? And it's not about me and it's not about you, but it's about the roles that we function in together. Number one, this morning we see the roles declared. Number two, notice with me the, role, the, the responsibilities described in verse number 12. So he's given all these roles But why did he give these roles? Well, the first part of verse number 12 says this, for the perfecting of the saints. That terminology, perfecting of the saints, that word perfect, it refers to that which is made fit or is complete. How many of you have ever done a puzzle before? Raise your hand if you've done a puzzle before. Now, if you've ever done a puzzle, you understand that those pieces, they fit together when selected correctly, right? Each piece does not fit correctly into the other, every other piece. There's just a few pieces that it fits together with, right? And, it, and so therefore, the, the person that's doing the puzzle, we'll call it the puzzle master, all right, is taking the pieces and they're finding where they fit and making sure that they all interlock together. And in the end, it's a beautiful masterpiece or picture that is created because of the work that was put in for it. Well, God is our master puzzle. Uh, is the pa- what, did I, what did I say? We- puzzle master. There we go. I flipped off them. God is the puzzle master of our, of our church. And he's already selected you as a part to play in this. And he's already got a perfect role for you to play in it. And when we just yield ourselves to him, he places us right where we're supposed to be. And we fit perfectly with the person next to us. We fit perfectly in the ministry that he has us in. He, we fit perfectly in the role or the position that he has us for. And, uh, and, and man, everything starts to come together and starts to paint this beautiful picture. How many of you have ever done a, a, a puzzle before and got down and had one piece left and can't find it? What in the world? Like, this is a brand new puzzle right out of the box. This must be a manufacturer's defect, right? Like, I know that this is, there's got to be, it's got to be somewhere. Well, the missing puzzle piece that can't be found has caused that puzzle to not be complete. Paul says that the reason why these roles are in the church is for the completion of the church, the perfecting of it, the fitting together of it. God's the puzzle master of our church, and he puts us where we want. But when we hop off the table and hide underneath the seat or get swept up with the other garbage that was there, and we don't allow ourselves to be in the hand of the master to place us where you get where I'm coming from today. Are you following along with what I'm saying this morning? When we don't allow ourselves to be in his hands and yielded, then a a beautiful masterpiece of his creation is left unfinished. uh, It's not fit together like it ought to. Or maybe let's say the puzzle piece gets a mind of its own and the corner says, I don't want to be the corner. I want to be the center of attention. So it jumps out and tries to force itself right in the middle. Oh, how I've seen church members try to function outside the roles that they were created for. Because the the role that they were created for in their mind was measly. It wasn't important. They wanted to be in the limelight. And they they wanted to get the accolades. They wanted to get the pat on the back. And they wanted it to be where they wanted to be instead of being where God created them to be. Man, oh man, how can that mess up the beautiful masterpiece that God was creating my friends, we find that the responsibilities described, it says it's for the perfecting of the saints. Well, how, does, are, how are the saints perfected? No, let me say this this morning, that the perfecting requires the right tools to be used. It requires the right tools to be used. What is the tool that's going to perfect us as saints, as believers? First and foremost is the Word of God. 
As I mentioned earlier, 1 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I believe perfecting requires the right tool to be used of prayer as well. Uh, we read in Colossians chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you. But notice what Paul writes about Epaphras. He says, always laboring fervently for you in prayers. The opportunity to pray for one another, to intercede for one another is greatly needed for the perfecting of the saints. Sometimes God uses testing to perfect the saints. The Bible tells us in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her, here's our word again, perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Sometimes God will use suffering as well to use it as a purifying or purging experience. As 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 10 says, but, God, uh, but the God of all grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. But the perfecting of the saints, it requires the right tools to be used, but there's a target that is needed. There's a purpose behind it, and that target is unity, my friends. And we find here in verse number 13, it says, till we all come in the unity of the faith. A unified church that is clicking towards the same direction, wanting nothing but to, only to accomplish the work of the Lord and His will is a force to be reckoned with. That's why 1 Corinthians 1 and 10 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And as I close this morning, notice not only have we seen the, the uh, roles declared, the responsibility described, but lastly, notice the resolve determined. What is our determination? What should we resolve to do as, as members of the church, as parts of the body, as realizing we have a role or a part to play? What should we, 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 we be re determined and resolved to do? Well, first we find there in verse number 12, it ought to involve a resolve to serve. Because verse number 12, and the middle part says this, for the work of the ministry. You know, work doesn't get done unless somebody does it. It's funny. My wife says sometimes, she's like, you mean the, uh, the dish fairies didn't come and do the dishes while we were gone, right? Right. You mean, they, you mean that uh, the, the, the house just doesn't clean itself? Oh, you mean the Sunday school lesson just doesn't get developed on its own? You mean that the t a lesson doesn't get taught just by doing nothing? No, it takes work, doesn't it? Oh, you mean, uh, you mean people don't hear about Jesus without a witness, huh? How shall they hear without a preacher? Romans 12 says or 10. So, I mean, uh, uh, ha, ha, you mean it doesn't happen on its own? No, it takes work. And my friends, the work of the ministry is going to require a dedication, a determination, a resolve to service, a resolve for edifying one another. In verse number 12, the latter part says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. You think of that word edifying and consider the term like the outside of the, a structure being built, the edifice of a, of, a, of a building. And that's what is being said. It's a building up. Edifying is a building up. And as we work together in unity, we will find uh, edifying one another. That's another thing in first, verse number 13 is unifying, as we've already discussed, the unity of the faith. Of the faith. It refers to having a, a proper and a unifying Christian doctrine. Verse number 13 also says this, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You know, you know my friends, we ought to be resolved to having a proper understanding of our, of our role and God's work in our life. This, this, this term here in verse number 13 and the knowledge of the Son of God is talking more of, it's, it's greater than just an acquaintance. How many of you have acquaintances that you know, right? Like, oh yeah, I know so-and-so. I don't really know them that much. I don't know how old they are. I don't know where they live. I just know of them, right? This knowledge of the Son of God talks more of just the, more than an acquaintance. It is a understanding and knowing. And then lastly, in verse number 13, it says, uh, it says, unto a perfect man. That's the maturing of the believer. And we ought to be resolved to maturing at, uh, in, our, in our Christian faith. And as we grow in our, our Christian faith, I believe that we are going to see the importance of fulfilling our role in the body of Christ. 
How do we, how do we grow in our, and, and mature in our Christian faith? Well, we grow through doctrine, as it says in verse number 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie and wait to deceive us. What is said here is that we're going to be anchored. We're no more children, that we're going to be aware of the slight of men. We're not going to be easily manipula- manipulated. We're going to make sure that we're not deceived by the schemes that are taking place there uh, in the... Uh, by, by those who would try to, to cause us to believe a false belief. Doctrine is going to help us mature. Devotion is going to help us to mature. Look at verse number 15. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, uh, even Christ. This means to speak, to deal, or to act truthfully. That we are to speak the truth within the context of a truthful and authentic Christian life. And look at verse number 16. How will we mature? Through development. Because verse number 16 says, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. None of us can do as much alone as all of us can do together. We, we, I, I promise you this, if I were to ask and say, everyone, respond to this. How many of us want to, would say, I honestly want to see God reach people here in Sierra Vista? I don't think there'd be anyone here that would not respond with it. Yes, I want to see that. I want to see God reach people here in Sierra Vista. But then if I were to come and ask you and say, how are you going to allow God to use you to reach people here in Sierra Vista? You'd probably start backpedaling. Some of you would. You see, that is a misunderstanding of the part we have to play. Because if we can say, yes, I want it to happen, but not be willing to do any part of it, we don't realize the importance. It'd be like saying, it'd be like saying oh man, I want, my, I want my body to be the body of an Olympic athlete. But I'm missing an arm and I'm missing a leg. That you're not going to be, be uh, you're not going to be participating in the Olympics anytime soon. Maybe the Paralympic Games, right? But uh, not the the Olympic Games as we know it, right? It's not, that's not going to happen because you just aren't going to be able. Your body won't allow you to function to the limits that would need to be functioning in order to to be able to accomplish being able to participate in that way. Well, I want it to. It doesn't matter. Unless you've got the tools and the resources, it's not going to happen. Well, I want our church to be strong, and I want our church to be growing, and I want our church to be what God wants it to be, and I want our church to accomplish all God wants us to accomplish. But without me participating, or with just me sitting here on Sunday morning only. See, we're missing the fact that if we, want, if we say we really want it, if we're honest about it, we've all got a part to play. And we've got it, we've got it, it comes down to the nitty-gritty right here. They sometimes say, put the jelly on the bottom shelf, right? It really just comes down to what role am I going to play? Just as my pinky doesn't doesn't play the same role as my big toe, every one of us has a role to play. We're not all going to be the same, but if we're not functioning in the role that God created us for, we are causing the body to be hindered. It is not functioning the way God wants it to function. We all have a part to play. I don't know what yours is. All I can do is fulfill mine. All you can do is fulfill yours. See, unity is not not uniformity, but it is working together. And disunity is when I say, well, I'm filling my part. How dare so-and-so not fill their part and think that because I am filling my, my part, I'm, do, I'm somehow better. I come alongside and I hope to encourage and edify the one to be able to fill their role. Brother Tyus, you broke your finger recently, right? Yeah. So he's supposed to have it splinted, right? Why do they splint maybe one to the other for support? What if, the, what if the one finger that wasn't broken said, well, I'm not broken. Why don't they just get their act together? 
right? Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? We're not to be like, no, I'm better than you, no. Let me come alongside of you and support you to get where you're supposed to be, to be what God wants and created you to be. When it comes to the church, my friends, listen, God has a plan, and His plan is found right here. It's not anything that we've come up with, because when we come up with it, it's going to fail. But if we follow His plan, it will always work every single time. What, what role do you play? What's your part? Would you stand your feet with me, please, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning? Heads bowed, eyes closed. Out of respect of others, no one looking around. How many of you say, Pastor, I know for sure I'm saved. I know that heaven's my home. And if I were to die today, I'm 100% sure that I'd spend eternity with my Lord forever. Could I just rejoice with you? Would you slip your hand up and right back down? Hands all across the auditorium. I praise God for that. Would there be anyone here who would see, say, honestly, Pastor, I just don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that heaven's my home. If I were to die today, I'm not sure that I've ever been born again. I'm not going to embarrass you or anything like that, but could I pray for you this morning? Would you slip your hand up and write back down? Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. Then one last question. As we discussed last week, the importance of that commitment of membership. Maybe you've been praying about that. Maybe you've been considering the biblical concept of that. And Maybe there's something that you need to do and, and, uh, and that you maybe you just need to make that determination and say, you know what, I need to make that commitment. I need to make that commitment to a body to where I can fully function and to accomplish the Lord's work. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a member of Mountain Vista, but you are not fulfilling your role yet. You're doing maybe some. Maybe you're tinkering here or there, but you haven't fully committed to just completing and officially accomplishing the role in which God has created you to accomplish. Maybe fears kept you from it. Maybe uh, some uncertainty has kept you from it. Maybe, maybe it's just, a, just a, a, a lack of willingness. Has kept, I don't know what it is. Maybe there's something that the Lord created you for, and you know it. And you know there's a place where you ought to be serving. There's a place, that, a role that you could fill that you ought to be filling, and you're not doing it. Maybe you're here this morning, and I don't know what it was, but maybe through the message in some way, the Lord spoke to your heart. You felt that conviction, and you know that there's something that you need to give over to the Lord. You need to yield it to the Lord. And you say, Lord, here's my life. I want to function the way you've created me to function. As you bring together and build the church for your own good pleasure, I believe that I'm part of this one and that you've put me here for a purpose. And God, now use me. I'm willing to serve and function in whatever capacity you'd have me to serve and function in because I know that you've equipped me and created me for a particular role. Who here would say, Pastor, please pray with me because there's something that the Lord spoke to my heart about as the message was delivered, as the word of God was declared. There's something that the Lord pricked my heart about and pastor, just pray with me that I'd respond accordingly and that I'd yield my life to his service however he sees fit. Could I pray with you this morning? Would you slip your hand up and write back down if that's you? If the Lord spoke in your heart, just slip your hand up and write back down. I want to pray with you about that. I'm going to pray, and then the piano is going to begin to play. And if the Lord has spoken to your heart, maybe you're able to come to the altar and you'll kneel right here at the front and you'll do that. Maybe right there in your seat, you'd call out to the Lord, but you'll respond and yield to the Lord as he's spoken to you today. Our Father... We do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you for the fact that you desire for us to, to serve you. An what an opportunity it truly is to be able to enter into your service, to do anything for your honor and for your glory. Lord, I ask now that you would just speak to hearts in ways that only you can, that uh, your Holy Spirit would continue to work in the hearts of believers even after we have dismissed from this service. And Lord, I ask now that you'd have your will in your way and be honored and glorified through it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano plays this morning, if the Lord spoken in your heart and you'd like to come to the front, you're welcome right here at the altar or right there in your seat. You maybe reach out and call out to the Lord as he's spoken to you this morning. I'm thankful for how the Lord works and how he's given us his word that I don't have to worry about trying to figure it out on my own. That I don't have to try to navigate this life and this thing called church by figuring out what I believe to be best, but I'm thankful that he's given his word that instructs us.
and gives us the guidance that is necessary in those ways. I'm thankful for the fact that he's brought together and he builds his church. I'm thankful for the fact that he equips and that he, uh, he gives what is necessary for those uh, that he has for his service. And I'm thankful that none of us are left on the outside looking in. That as he has equipped and as he has plans, he's got a plan for everyone. It's not, he just doesn't use only the talented or only the well-to-do. He doesn't use just those who have it all together because none of us do, right? But he has a plan for every single one of us. What an opportunity. I think we, we sell our, the, ourselves short. Maybe I should say rather we sell the Lord short. That by the fact that we don't yield ourselves as just willing instruments in his hands for his use and for his service. We think, well, I'm just nobody. I couldn't do that. No, the Lord is able and he can. New Heights is our theme for the year. Maybe we just need to say, Lord, take my life to new heights in my service to you. However, the Lord spoke in your heart. We're going to have this last stanza of invitation. And I hope that you would respond as he's spoken to you today. being here this morning, and I know we have a few guests with us. We're thankful that you are here with us as well, and I appreciate your worshiping the Lord with us, and uh, I just am thankful for the fact that uh, we, as I look across this auditorium, not only right now, but also for the first service, uh, just the diversity in people uh, from different backgrounds and different walks of life and different, uh, different upbringings, but yet here for the same cause and uh, for the same reason, and that's for our, our Lord, and uh, that's where it starts and just trying to, to put him first and accomplish what he'd have for us. So we're going to pray to be dismissed here this morning and ask the Lord's blessings on all that is going to take place through the afternoon. And uh, we'll pick, pick up again tonight at 6 with our evening service if you're able. We'd love for you to participate and be here for that. I'm going to ask Brother Larry Whitworth, if he wouldn't mind, please, and uh, praying and asking the Lord to bless as we go and uh, just to be with us this afternoon. Lord God, we thank you so much for... Uh, being able to come to this place and to worship you and give you all the glory and praise, Father, because you are worthy. We thank you, Father, for our pastor and uh, the leadership that he gives us. And uh, we just ask, Father, that uh, we all have a safe trip home and come back again this evening. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.